just do this and I'll be quiet. Um, my name is Paula and I am the assistant pastor over outreach and volunteers here at Fellowship Church. Um, this week, Anthony is out of town and so he asked me to speak, which was a mistake. Um, if you are joining us online, welcome. We're so glad to have you joining us that way also. Um, so the last few weeks, we have been talking about uh, what, we're, what we call DNA points. And these are uh, phrases that our church uh, follows and we use them to keep on track for our purpose and our mission and our vision. But this series is not about Fellowship Church. Um, and so we believe that these are good things and we believe that these are things that can help in our personal lives, but we also believe that these are good things for the church in general. So a few, uh, just a really quick recap. Uh, we've talked about we are the Coast Guard, not the Yacht Club. If you're saved, you serve. Uh, we are for this generation, we encourage innovation. We are water buffaloes. Uh, that was the week that Janelle almost drowned putting water in the baptismal and Anthony just watched. So rude. Uh, and then we do more by doing less. Um, that's my least favorite DNA point. But today I am going to talk about we ride waves and roll with punches. So we don't play it safe. We have big faith to step into the water to ride the waves of momentum and to step up when life gets tough. And as I'm reading that right now, I'm realizing the irony because none of that is true for myself. I am a chicken. Anyone else a chicken? I don't know why my mic keeps making that noise. Um, I'm afraid of everything. And so the idea of surfing, I want to surf. I think that sounds so cool, but I'll never surf because there are sharks. And I saw the movie about the girl who gets her arm bitten off. Um, and then, I don't want to get punched. So uh, I was excited when Anthony asked me, he asked me just a few weeks ago to preach today. And he was like, oh, Paula, you're going to be talking about riding waves and rolling with punches. Ladina groaned. It was very dramatic. Um, so this is my favorite DNA point because I had attended Fellowship Church for years and I was on staff when I realized that that is supposed to be a wave, not an octopus tentacle. <laughs> That is an octopus tentacle. I don't know who drew this, but you're a bad wave drawer. Be better. And <laughs> so um, Ladina was like, please, Paula, for the love of God, don't make your octopus joke. And I was like, I'm making the octopus joke. And I thought she wasn't going to be in the morning services, so I was only going to make them this morning and not tonight. But here she is. And she doesn't think this joke is funny, but I do. Um, so, we don't play it safe. We have big faith to step into the water, to ride the waves of momentum, and to step up when life gets tough. So, as I was um, preparing for this sermon, I wanted to talk about David. And Anthony was like, well, what part of David? And I was like, I'm going to talk about all of David. So, today, we are going to look at the life of David. We're going to do like a 30,000-foot view and we're going to go really quickly through his life. And then we're going to look at three scenarios in his life um, and how he rolled with the punches, but how those punches turned into momentum for David. So 
when we first meet David, he is a shepherd in his father's house. And the story starts with God telling the prophet Samuel to go to the house of Jesse, which is David's dad, and Samuel is going to anoint the next king of Israel. And it's one of Jesse's sons. So Samuel goes, he meets all of Jesse's sons, and each one God says, nope, it's not him. It's not him. It's not him. And so he gets through 11 sons, and Jesse, or, and Samuel goes, do you have another son? And Jesse goes, well, we have David, and he's out in the back tending the sheep. So our first insight to David is his, his family forgets him. He's, he is not important in his family. And so Samuel calls David in and anoints him as the next king of Israel. So that's quite a difference. And it says that uh, David actually goes back to tending his father's sheep. Like there's no big party for him. He's anointed king of Israel. He goes back. Um, uh, The next story that we hear about David is uh, Jesse sends him to his brothers who are in a camp battling the Philistines. And when David goes to deliver goods and to check on his brothers, he hears the giant Goliath cursing the God of Israel. And so uh, David is upset by this. He goes to the king, and he offers to fight this uh, giant. And he actually kills the giant, right? This is one of the most famous stories about David, is killing this giant. And again, he just goes home. And so uh, later on, the king of Israel is having these issues, and someone recommends, let's bring in a musician to calm you when you're in these high states of emotion, and they call David, and that must have been really awkward for David to be working for the king when he'd been anointed to be the next king. I can imagine him being like, nobody nobody bring that up, (laughs) Um, but it says that Saul immediately loved David, and so David becomes Saul's armor bearer and his personal musician, and he never leaves the house of Saul. He's with him. He dines at his table. Um, and so they, they're going out to these battles, and David is a man of valor, and it says that God, uh, the Spirit of God, rests on David, so he finds favor no matter what, and he becomes a national war hero. And so the Israelite army is going back into Jerusalem, and all of the women, it says, come out to meet them, and they are singing a song of victory and of triumph, and it says, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. So Saul is immediately enraged and jealous, because this kid, who was his armor bearer, is now held in higher esteem than he is. And so Saul immediately begins to plot David's death. Um, So in 1 Samuel 18.10, he tries to kill David. He uh, tries to spear him. And after this, uh, so he does this twice. And after this, Saul realizes that he physically will not be able to kill David, that the Spirit of God is with David, and Saul will not kill him. So he changes tactics, and he puts, Saul, or he puts David over troops in hopes that he dies in battle. 
But again, the spirit of the Lord is with David, and he continues to have victory after victory. And in another attempt to kill David, uh, Saul has him go and kill a hundred Philistines as a bride price for Saul's daughter. And again, uh, David actually ends up killing 200 Philistines, and then he marries Saul's daughter. So now he's son-in-law to the king. He's a war hero, and Saul hates him. <laughs> um, and it says that Saul was continually David's enemy. So even as David is excelling as a military leader, Saul keeps trying to kill him. There's like six times in, that's recorded that Saul is trying to kill David. And so David flees, and he actually ends up fleeing to the country of the Philistines, which is Israel's enemy. He has to pretend to be insane. And then Saul marries his daughter, David's wife, to another man, and uh, David is living in a cave, and then his, his father and his brothers actually have to flee also, and they come, and they're living in a cave, and I cannot think of a more stressful thing than to be living with my entire family in a cave. Um, <laughs> yikes. And so remember that David was anointed king of Israel at this point. He knew that that was a promise that God had given him, and he's living in a cave. And so that's a lot of punches, okay? He had one high moment, and now it's just punch, punch, punch. So eventually, Saul dies in battle. And Saul's sons, also some of his sons, die in battle. And don't, don't think that this is a wave for David. David is not happy about this. David actually uh, writes a lament that begins Second Samuel. The book of Second Samuel begins with this lament that David writes for Saul and his sons. And um, after Saul's death, the tribe of Judah anoints David as their king. So he's, he's king over one tribe. But there are 11 other tribes that anoint one of Saul's sons. So for about eight years, David rules the tribe of Judah and is, a, is actually a war with the rest of the tribes of Israel and Saul's other son. And so after eight years and a lot of battles and some um, spies, they, David is now king over Israel, or Israel and Judah. And so he's finally, he's come into this promise that God gave him. Uh, they think that David was a teenager when he was anointed king of Israel, and they think he was, a, well, we know that he was around 38 when he became king of both Israel and Judah. So that's a long time. That's, you know, 15, 20 years. Um, so while David is king, the Ark of the Covenant, the Philistines bring it back to Israel. And David is so excited. This is, this is really a peak moment for him. And he, he asks God if he can build a temple for God, a place that the Ark can go into. And God tells him no. And basically God tells him, you can't build this because you've killed too many men. There's too much blood on your hands. And so we're going to talk more about that story because that story doesn't end there. But, um, and then a few years after that, it says that it, in the season when kings go to war, and then it says that David was at home. So there are other kings at war. David's troops are at war, but David is not where he should be. David is at home, and it says that he's 
walking the roof of his house and he sees a woman bathing and he calls for her and they bring her to him and he has an affair with her. Um, and then he sends her home and she comes back and says, hey, I am now pregnant. And so her husband is at war. So David calls for her husband and essentially tries to trick the husband that the baby that she's pregnant with is his. And when that does not work, he kills the husband. Um, so he's confronted by a, pro a prophet named Nathan and the baby dies. Um, and then right after this, one of his other sons named Ammon rapes his half-sister, and then his other son, Absalom, kills Ammon. And then Absalom stages a coup against David. And it says that Absalom had won the hearts of Israel, um, and it's, it's almost successful. And again, David flees, um, but Absalom is killed in battle. And this, again, is not a win for David. It says that David mourned so greatly that his troops were like, well, why did we even fight for him? Like, he wants his son living more than he wants to be king. So this is kind of the last story that we hear about David, is that he is reinstated as the king of Israel. And then there's about 15 or 20 more years that he, there's not much about that phase of his life. And then he dies at like 70. So when we're looking at, at David's life, um, not in detail, but just kind of that broad view, we can really see those ups and downs. And we can see when there's momentum, and we can see when there's um, tough times. And so I want to look more at the story of Bathsheba. And so that story is in 2 Samuel 12. And so when God sends the prophet Nathan to David, Nathan comes in and he tells him a story of a rich man stealing the little ewe lamb of a poor man. And um, David does not get it. Okay, so Nathan tells him this story and David is enraged and he's like, that man will die and he will restore what he stole fourfold. And I like to imagine this next part, um, like in Lord of the Rings, when Eowyn turns to the Nazgul king and says, I am no man, but in this case, it's you are that man. <laughs> um, and so Nathan confronts David and tells him, like, you are this man, and you've scorned God. And David immediately repents. And God, God tells Nathan, or tells David, I, I brought you up from nothing, I gave you everything, and if you had asked for more, I would have given you more. Why have you scorned me? And so David is repentant. Um, I'm too far out, sorry. Uh, and then God delivers his judgment on David, and he says, Therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to you, or give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. So that part of the punishment, the consequence, is actually fulfilled 
in the coup that his son Absalom stages. And we know that Absalom, in an attempt to show his power and that he has taken control from his father, takes 10 concubines of his father, and he does sleep with them on the roof of his father's house for all Israel to see. So this portion of scripture is fulfilled in Absalom. Um, But there is a second part to this punishment, and it says, the Lord has put away your sin, and you shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. And so the child becomes sick, and for seven days this child is sick. And David, um, he puts on sackcloth, he will not eat, he will not drink. It says that he lies prostrate in the room with the child, praying and petitioning that God would change his mind. Um, but God does not change his mind. And one, on the seventh day, the child dies, and as his advisors are trying to decide how they're going to deliver this news, David catches on, and he asks if the child has died, and they confirm. And it says that uh, he got up, and he went home, and he bathed and anointed himself, dressed and ate. And his advisors approach him, and they're like, um, you've been laying on the ground for seven days. And then we tell you that the child is dead, and now you're fine? And they're, they're very confused. And David's response is so interesting, and he says, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live, but now he is dead, so why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. And so this week, while I was writing all of this out, I asked Anthony, I was like, how do I share this story where it kind of sounds like God kills a baby? And he was no help. Um, and, but because that's, that's, this story is hard. This story involves uh, a grown man's sin, and the consequence of his sin is the death of a baby. And so I want to, I just want to address that, like, that's hard, especially for you mothers, like, you're like, no, I don't like that. So, but I want to look at David, and I want to look at his response. And so, during this time, David writes a psalm. And so, what's amazing about David is that we get to read his story written by observers, but then we can go to the psalms. David wrote 73 psalms. And so, we can go to these psalms, and we can see his response. And so, in Psalm 51, which is what David wrote during this time, he asks God to show him mercy. He asks God to purge him and to give him a clean heart and to renew the right spirit within him. And then, I just thought this was so interesting, he says, so that I can teach transgressors God's ways, so that sinners will return to you. And so David doesn't just come in and ask God, oh, please, please have mercy on me and make me better so that I can just do whatever I want. But he knew that this was something he could take and he could use to minister to other people. Um, And I know that's not my response when I'm in a hard time, especially a hard time of my own creation. Sometimes punches that we're going through is actually just us punching ourselves 
Anybody else? Just me? Um, and so in those times, I'm not asking God, like, help me to use this to lead people to you. I'm like, please help me because I am a baby and I am really upset that I made this mess. <laughs> and um, the next thing that David says that was that just stood out to me is he he asks God to open David's mouth so that David can praise God. And David knew that when we're in chaos, we might not want to praise God. That it's really hard to praise God in the midst of chaos, but he also knew that praising God in the chaos was what was going to get him out of it. So, um, and David never curses God in the Psalms. David will curse the day that he's born. He will curse his own life, but he never curses God. Um, so, a few, a few years before this, so we're going to come back to Bathsheba in a little bit, but a few years before this, David has asked to build the temple, and God tells him no. And the verse in First Chronicles says, You may not build a house in my name, for you are a man of war and have shed blood. But God then follows this up with a, a really big promise, and it's a promise that David will never really see fulfilled. And so God tells him that his David's son will build the temple, and that David's son will be a son of to God, and that God will never leave him or forsake him, but his love will always rest on him. And this is actually a prophecy about Jesus also, because Jesus comes from the line of David. So we do see this fulfilled in Solomon, but this is ultimately talking about Jesus. And so in 2 Samuel 7, God says, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And then, so maybe right now you're wondering if I've forgotten that I'm actually talking about waves and punches, but I haven't. So the next thing is in Psalm 110. So God tells David that his line will live on forever. And that's a prophecy regarding Jesus. And so David writes this Psalms, which is also a prophecy about Jesus. And it says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power and holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath, and he will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He shall shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. And so this promise that God gives to David is ultimately about Jesus, and it's about how Jesus will be a warrior king, but he will also be a priest, and he will minister and lead and save his people. And so, coming back to Bathsheba for the final time, Bathsheba has another son after the loss of her first son, and this son is Solomon, and Solomon becomes king after David, and he builds the temple of the Lord. And why is that important? It's because the first story that we hear about David and Bathsheba is a mess. And it is 
it's David scorning God, and it is David not walking in the will of God and getting into trouble where he shouldn't be. But God didn't forsake David, and he didn't forsake Bathsheba. And he uses this woman to fulfill not just the promise of this first son, but of Jesus. And so we have a very similar promise from God. We don't... um, Jesus doesn't come from our family tree, but we actually come into Jesus's family tree. And so I wanted to come in here and I wanted to make everyone feel better and be like, 2020 hasn't just been a year of punches. It's been a year of waves. And maybe that's true and maybe that's not. But what God wants us to know today is that even if we're in the midst of the punches, even if they're the punches that you've created for yourself, God is not going to forsake you. And God has, he's given you promises in the past, and they're not void, and he's not going to take them away. But you have to repent. And we have to repent, and I mean that as I have to repent, and Ladina has to repent, and everyone in this room has to repent collectively, okay? But what are the promises that God gave you? What are the promises that God said, not yet, but eventually? And I just can't imagine how frustrated David was to get this promise that he would never see. He did not see the temple. He died when Solomon became king, and he wasn't on earth for Jesus. And how, how frustrating, but that doesn't mean that the promise wasn't still good. And it doesn't mean that the promise wasn't still important. And so um, this, this analogy of waves and punches doesn't hold up at this point in my sermon, so just bear with me. I'm really sorry. But times of momentum come out of those low points, okay? And the only thing I could visualize was imagine someone's coming to punch you in the face and you sidestep and then you're on a surfboard and you're now you're surfing. And I don't know how that works, but with God, you can be dodging a punch and then surfing. <laughs> and so there are people in this room who are in these low points and Maybe it's outside forces, maybe it's things beyond your control, or maybe it's you. Maybe you stepped out of the will of God. David should have been in battle, in a physical battle, leading his country, but he wasn't. Instead, he was pacing his roof, and he got himself into trouble. And it was pride that he didn't need to be where God told him to be, and that God wasn't going to see him, but God does see us. So not to kick the dead horse, but what is the will of God for your life? What are the promises of God that you are waiting for? And what do we need to repent from? Okay? And so we see David's life just, it's just a crazy life. He's a shepherd boy that his family forgets to call in to the king, to living in caves, to causing his son's death to being promised that the Messiah would come from him, okay? And uh, in Jeremiah, it tells us that God has a, a hope and a future for us, but it also says that we have to seek God. So, 
seek God, seek God's will. And if you're in that low point, know that your times of momentum, they're coming. And if you're in a time of momentum, the low points are coming also. So use this time to prepare for them. So I'm going to pray, but I would just, just encourage you this week to just search your heart. Search, be in your word, and ask God where he wants you to be and if you're there. Lord God, we thank you that you, you are holy and you are faithful and that you are love. And Lord God, I just ask that each and every one of us would would be convicted of where we are not aligned with your holy will. And Lord, just remind us that nothing good comes from our own making, but it all comes from you. And Lord, we love you and bless you in your name. Amen.